Welcome to This Little Light of Mine, the podcast where we explore what happens when you teach a child that they are not allowed to love. Here's your host, James Powell. It's 2021. We made it. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of This Little Light of Mine. My name is James Powell and I'm glad that you're able to join me for today's story episode called Validate Me. It feels so good to be here and to share more of an upbeat and lighter episode with you today. And that's what this episode is all about. Validation and feeling good. Before we hop into today's episode, I want to share some authentic validation to some of the loving humans who have helped me through the last few weeks. Lynn, thank you for your friendship and for all your loving advice, your encouragement and your podcast recommendations. Your gentle nudges always seem to come at the right time and they mean so much to me, because you mean so much to me. Thank you. Ken Reed in Sydney, Australia. Thank you for your new friendship, your powerful conversations, and all the work that you do in helping gay men around the world understand how they can be living examples of self-love, authenticity, and connection. To John, Victor, Abby, AJ, Kelly, Ezzy, Ali, and all of my Wednesday night crew, thank you for teaching me the actual meaning of church. Your love, encouragement, and community is exactly what we need more of in our world. John, thank you for your vision, and thank you for including me. Kimberly, thank you for seeing me and for sharing your words of encouragement and love. I can't wait to share warm drink face-to-face someday soon. And Mom and Dad, thank you for your openness, your vulnerability, and for being on this journey with me. I'm proud to be your son. And I know that our story and our relationship continues to grow and evolve. I love you. And I know that you love me. Now in today's story episode, I'm shedding many of the awkward, scared, small, and unwanted masks of my school years. This period of my life is my coming out and my reinvention. And man, did it ever feel good. Here's today's story episode, Validate Me. My university years were some of the best years of my life. I was finally on my own two feet, and at 19, I had managed to find a full-time job that I loved. I was enrolled full-time in the top university in the country. I was VP Finance at our student council and had a really good, tight-knit group of university friends. University was a magical, transformative time of first for me. My first drink. Having learned nothing about the devil's juice before arriving at university, my mind was empty, and as I approached the bar during a Frosh Week pub night, the only thing that my mind could conjure up was, this calls for a Bud Light. And yeah, that's how I placed my order. Also my first workout. Being in a completely new environment helped me to overcome my fear of anything sports or athletic related. I learned how to use all the machines at the campus gyms, and started trading in some of my baby fat for muscle. I also had my first girlfriends. Yeah, girlfriends. During my first year of university, I continued to feel the pressure to be straight. That got a little bit dicey when having to plan and attend the campus homo hops that our student council organized. But overall, I was checking all the boxes. And the more important part was that I could measure my success against the friends and the people that I'd grown up with. After years of feeling less than, being taunted for being gay, and being told that I was a sinner, I finally had the proof 
I was winning. And this was extremely important to me. I started my career in advertising and marketing kind of by chance. I had a deal with my parents that they would fund half my university tuition as long as I found a way to put up my half first. I knew that bagging groceries wasn't going to fund my half, so I needed to find a new plan that didn't involve our local grocery store. Fortunately, the small suburb right outside of Toronto where we lived only had one large office tower, and I used large in quotes. I didn't really know what this company did, but I wrote a letter to the CEO, and for some reason my letter was passed along to the chief marketing officer who called me in for an interview while I was in my last year of high school. Little did I know that this unheard of telco was bidding for new wireless spectrum with hopes of launching a new national wireless company. During my interview, I was mortified when my pager went off. The CMO looked at me and he said, let me see that. I humbly grabbed for my jacket, pulled out my pager and handed it over. He was stunned. I thought I was in trouble, but he asked, how many of you have these? I told him that most of the kids have these free pagers and a few of us even had cell phones so that we could keep in touch. His jaw dropped to the floor. He asked, do you have a cell phone? And I did. He was blown away and I could see the business plan dancing in his head and he admitted that he'd never even factored in students to that plan. I guess we've come a long way from 1995 and I can only imagine what would have happened if I'd told him that the real reason I needed to have a cell phone was so that I could get the results of my HIV test without the clinic having to call my family home phone. The pride that I felt when I found out that they wanted me they wanted to give me the job. I can still remember driving to that final interview where they let me know. Killing Me Softly by the Fugees was playing on the radio and I felt like I was flying. This first corporate job was a life changer for me. I thrived in the values-based startup culture. I had a number of mentors, people who truly cared, took the time and took me under their wing. My team members felt like the family I'd always wanted. I still cringe though at the memory of booking one-on-one 15-minute meetings with each of my marketing intelligence team members so that I could personally come out of the closet to them one at a time. It was really important for me that they knew who the real me was. I'd come out to my university friends the summer before and that gave me the confidence and assurance that I was loved. Except for my girlfriend Julie. That's not a conversation I ever, ever want to have again. And I guess... I guess I did deserve having her coffee thrown at me. I had no idea that that first job would launch a marketing and advertising career that would see me working in Canada, US, Hong Kong, Australia, South Africa, Kenya, and Rajasthan, and working on some of the most famous and infamous brands in the world, including strategy planning sessions in the dining room at the Playboy Mansion, in the back of SUVs with Richard Branson, co-authoring a book with Pam Anderson, and backstage at the Forum in LA, the Hollywood Bowl, and Radio City Music Hall in New York. I drank in these ego-inflating experiences, and they felt so good. I was finally getting what I thought I deserved, and I did not want that to stop. After years of feeling less than, unworthy and unwanted, this new drug was incredible. 
I define my worth by the sexiness of the role, the compensation, the budget that I managed, and the image that my success portrayed. Nothing was ever enough. I always wanted more, and it could never come fast enough. I approached each job like a sprint. I would come in, surpass expectations, repeat, get bored, and leave in search for something bigger. I always had to be on the upswing. As the years went by, I became more cynical with my work, but I forced myself to keep pushing forward and to keep a smile glued to my face. Even though I may have been disillusioned, work was always, always my number one priority. Work came before friends, relationships, and especially before family. I remember one year my parents wanting to take me out for dinner for my birthday, and I was enraged that they expected me, expected me, to leave work before 8 p.m. I couldn't stop. I was enslaved because work was how I defined myself. I didn't want to be doing what I was doing, but I kept stuffing those feelings deep down inside. Work was another mask, another part of my illusion, another addiction, but a socially acceptable one. Another first around this time was my first boyfriend. I met my first boyfriend, Hugh, while walking down the street one summer. We both checked each other out, and with the boldness of an 18-year-old, I crossed the street to say hello and to give him my business card. Yeah, I was that guy. I can't remember much about our first dates, but I do remember falling really hard for him quite quickly. He was an older guy, and he had a real job. He was a charmer from day one, and he knew it. He had all the right things to say and had a confidence about him that I found very attractive. Being five years older than me, Hugh was much more experienced than me in almost every area, or so I thought. He knew the right restaurants to be at, the right labels to wear, the right clubs to go to, the right friends to know, the right drugs to take, and the list seemed to go on and on. I was sucked in instantly. After years of church programming to turn my back on all of these things, I was now being invited in and escorted behind the velvet rope. Being with Hugh could be overwhelming and even hurtful at times, but I was happy to be on the fast track to being on the inside track. I was an eager learner as he instructed me on things I should never wear, never say, or places that I should never go. As I progressed through university, I was also slowly being molded and groomed into how to be a stereotype of the successful in-crowd gay. It felt so good to finally be on the inside and to be accepted. As Hugh took me under his wing to transform me, I approached the relationship using the only relationship template that I knew, my mom and dad. In my mind, it was my job to stand next to Hugh, to support him, to listen to him, to love him, and to take his direction. I would write him notes of encouragement, tell him how much I loved him, and would try as hard as I could to get him to say no to his friends at least once a week so that we could have some quality time alone. But that wasn't who Hugh was. After a few months, something inside of me snapped. I realized how toxic this relationship was for me, and I broke up with him. But to my surprise, the man who never showed any true emotion, he started to sob and he begged me not to leave and I gave in. 
The years went on, we moved in together, went on great vacations, had fancy dinners out. My favorite was the one sitting next to Mariah Carey where she cleared all the smokers out of the restaurant, went to the best parties and did lots of party favors. I went along with it and to be honest, I had lots of fun. But then one day, my world changed. I was leaving for Hong Kong to start my final year of studies and right before I left, Hugh casually mentioned, hey babe, have fun and don't worry about sleeping with other guys while you're away. I know you have to have your needs met. What did he mean? Why was he telling me that? We were committed. We were exclusive. We had even given each other commitment rings to show the world that we were in love. Hugh could see that I was upset and he started into an explanation that all successful gay relationships eventually open up and that this is the freedom that makes these relationships thrive and grow. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. This wasn't what I had signed up for. I was hurt, angry, and I was immediately jealous as my mind started to think about all the guys that he would be sleeping with while I was away. Hugh persisted, explaining that gay relationships aren't like the heterosexual Christian relationships that I was used to, and that with some experience, I would realize that open relationships were a much, much better option. Similar to my church upbringing, I didn't use my voice, and I used someone else's truth as my own. I knew that this wasn't what I wanted, but I stuffed those emotions deep down, and I let them fester. Sadly, I took this lie about what makes a successful gay relationship forward for decades. I allowed Hugh to define and place limits on what I thought were possible for commitment, intimacy, and love in a gay relationship. This not only hurt me, but it caused me to hurt many other men that I would date in the years after Hugh. I was an expert at stuffing my emotions, though. I did that at work. I did that in relationships. I did that with myself, and I did that with God. Thank goodness, though, I still had my hidden underground world that I could always escape to. This addiction was my ultimate protector. This underground world would never let me down, for it always provided me with instant validation. And that's all I was looking for, because that's all I thought I deserved. And that's my story episode, Validate Me. So what about you? Do you have an addiction to validation? Moving away from home, leaving the shame-based teachings of my church and heading off to university gave me the gasp of fresh air that I had been desperate for for years. Now, as I reflect back on this time, it's incredible to see how fast I jumped at all of those opportunities. I look back with awe and wonder at the cockiness, confidence, and zest for life that I had. And to be honest, sometimes I wish I could steal some of that and bring it into present day. I was on an ego upswing, and after spending most of my life locked away in a closet of shame and self-hatred, my new life of freedom was everything that I had dreamed of, or so I thought. Back at this time in my life, I wasn't even conscious of the new double standard that I'd created. I didn't see the all too familiar trap that I was sprinting towards. I didn't see how my circumstances had changed, but that I hadn't changed. External validation was the intoxicating drug that I used as life support for my flatlining self-esteem, 
And damn, that drug works great. But what I didn't realize was how addictive it was. Once I got a taste of positive external validation, I couldn't stop. I always needed more. More money, more responsibility, more muscle, more approval, more power, more, more, more. The other thing about this drug, you can't ever miss a dose, for the results can be disastrous. Any form of disapproval, failure, or questioning can lead to extreme side effects of shame, anxiety, depression, guilt, or anger. And when you miss a dose and encounter any of these side effects, you discover another challenge with external validation. You constantly need to increase your dosage. Once you're hooked on external validation, you continue to need to up the ante. It's a never-ending binge of more and more and more. There's always another high, a better job, a better relationship, a better vacation. There's always a next level that if you don't get there, it means that you've failed. What I didn't see at this point of my life was that nothing inside of me had changed since my pre-university church days. Outside things felt and possibly looked better, but inside the anxiousness, loneliness, and self-loathing continued to build. While sprinting towards all that made me look good, I couldn't dare go inside and take an honest inventory with my knowing. If I did, I would have seen that small, unworthy, self-doubting, anxious, angry, lonely little boy sitting in the back corner of my closet of shame and self-hatred. And God, did I ever hate that kid. In my eyes back then, he was pathetic, and he was no longer the real me. And I was desperate for him to stay there and to keep quiet, because the new me had a lot of life to live. Back then, I couldn't see that my ego high was actually my soul cry. So what about you? Have you ever got hooked on external validation? Are you crushed when you don't get the number of likes you need on Instagram? Or what about feedback? Are you able to accept honest feedback? Or do you need to surround yourself in an echo chamber of people that look like you, act like you, and think like you? On my healing and recovery journey, I'm learning so much about self-esteem, and I have a courtside seat to witnessing the devastating impact that developmental trauma can have on a human's self-worth and self-esteem. Healthy self-esteem is built on a solid foundation of safety, belonging, knowing and appreciating our unique characteristics, and from developing a trust that we can handle whatever it is in front of us. The level of our self-esteem forms an infinite loop between how we act in the world. When we have healthy self-esteem, we move forward making healthy actions, and those healthy actions continue to reinforce and build our self-esteem. But unfortunately, this infinite loop also works on the flip side. When we have toxic self-esteem, we move forward with toxic actions, and that may build our ego, but can end up eroding our already fragile self-esteem. When we focus exclusively on external validation in place of authentic self-love for who we really are, toxic self-esteem takes hold and can show up as feelings of inadequacy, not being enough, guilt, inferiority, shame, and little to no trust of ourselves. What may feel good and look good on the outside, 
on Instagram feeds, on LinkedIn profiles, or at parties, may actually be what is continuing to shame, silence, and traumatize that small child deep down inside of you. I'm learning that that small child, that little me, all he's looking for is to be acknowledged, to be heard, to be known, and to be loved. Aren't we all? Thank you so much for joining us today. And before I go, I want to remind you that you are worthy and that self-worth isn't dependent on anything. Self-worth is your birthright. You are worthy just because you're born, just because you're living. It's who you are and every single one of us is worthy. You're worthy of loving others and you are worthy of being loved because you are loved. Will you help me share this message? Who might benefit from this reminder? Will you share this little light of mine with someone in your life? One of the best ways to share this message of inclusive love is by providing a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Will you write a review? I'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't joined our community on Instagram or Facebook, I'd invite you to visit at My Light Shines Bright, either on Facebook or Instagram. And make sure to check out our Trauma Tuesday posts from December all through January and into February, where we'll be talking all about self-esteem and how we erode it and how we can build it up. I'm looking forward to being with you in two weeks' time with author Marc-Henri Sandoz Paradella to talk about his new book, Toxic Jesus, and his journey from holy shit to spiritual healing. I'm really excited to share Marc-Henri's work and I want to give away a free copy of Toxic Jesus to a listener of this little light of mine. For your chance to win, all you need to do is subscribe, rate, and leave a review of this little light of mine on Apple Podcasts. Next story episode, I'll choose one of the reviews and send you your very own copy of Toxic Jesus, the journey from holy shit to spiritual healing. Until then, be safe and know you are loved. To learn more about our guests today, and for links from our show, visit www.thislittlelightofmine.ca. If you enjoyed this episode or feel that it could bring love and acceptance into someone else's life, please like, rate, review, and share so that we can build our community and bring more love into the world for all people. Thank you for sharing your time and listening to our stories today. And we would love to hear your story too. Visit the Get Involved section of thislittlelightofmine.ca to share your voice. We love being in community with you and look forward to sharing more with you next time. Now go and let your light shine bright because you are loved.